Have you ever reached a point in your life where you simply had had enough? And you say, um, I have to change. Oh, maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one, okay? Now is the time. And it happens to people all the time. They, one day they wake up and they say, this is the day. This is the day I am, I've had enough of this. I'm going to lose the weight, right? You've said it. This is insanity to live the way I live. Uh, this mess that I live in, I, it's unbelievable. I've had it. It's time to clean up this place. Often our now is the time moments come really over some very difficult things, choices we need to make, and we finally realize the destruction perhaps that our pride is causing, and we kind of say, I've got to apologize. It could be that one day we realize the destruction being worked in our life by the enemy because of our holding on to things from the Lord and This is the day. Now is the time. It's yours. People go day after day carrying things they know they shouldn't. Refusing conversations that they know they should have. Worrying over things God wants them to just let Him have. Speaking of worry, have you ever watched the show, The Family Feud? It's been on television for 86 years, right? It's where they take surveys of 100 people about various questions, and then they, the contestants, they try to guess the most popular answers that were given. What do you think the most popular answer to this question was? And don't put it on the board yet. What do people worry most about? What do you think the answer was to that? Well, let's show the answers. I even got a family feud-like looking thing, didn't I? That's right. Yeah. Now, you might say that money was only mentioned by a little more than half of them, but when you add up those that pertain to money, money, paying bills and taxes, you can see that when asked, what do people most worry about, money issues, 85%. 85 of 100 responses are about money. Now, does that surprise you? Probably not. In Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus is teaching his disciples in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. These three chapters, Jesus is describing himself, I believe. It's very, it's very important that we understand this, I think, because Jesus is not giving his disciples instructions in how they should strive to live. I think the Sermon on the Mount is misinterpreted many times. He's not telling the disciples... Uh, Uh, The law, that bar was down here. Now I'm raising the bar. Good luck. He is not saying this is the way you should live because he would just be setting them up for failure. 
There's no way they could live up to all those things. Instead, I believe he's planting these seeds in their mind that this is the way life is lived in him. And later, they're going to hear him say, over in John 15, if you abide in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So all these instructions given on the Sermon on the Mount, apart from me, you can't do it. He is the life. And one of the things addressed in the whole Sermon on the Mount is this whole idea of worrying. Well, hear what Jesus says in verse 25 of chapter 6. Jesus says this, do not be worried about life. Now, do I need to explain those words? Is that with some nuance? Is that with some hidden meaning there? In verse 31, he says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Verse 34, he says, Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus is saying that in Him, when He is the source, when He is that, that life-giving uh, Spirit in us, there is no worry. Ever. Nada. Zilcho. Some of you need to hear that today. The root of worry, in most cases, is the fear of losing something. Losing money. Losing your way of life, your, com- your comfort. Losing your dreams for your kids. Losing your reputation. Losing a relationship. Losing your youth. <laughs> losing your life. And Jesus addresses that in the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and as a preface to the whole discussion there at the end of Matthew 6 about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and how He provides for them, won't He provide for you? In leading up to that, He gives this gem kind of as a preface. The foundation why He can say, don't worry. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first point is obvious. Uh, Earthly treasure is always at risk. There's thieves. There's robbers. uh, They break in and steal. Moth and rust destroy. Now over the past few weeks, uh, we've seen some wild gyrations in the American stock market. Right? One day it's all the way up. The next day it takes a nosedive and... uh, I kind of enjoy watching the analysts try to make sense of it. Uh, some are predicting that this is this normal part of corrections and normal business activity. And uh, 
Others are using the time to say the, well, Armageddon's around the corner, basically. The crash is, is looming. And if you have your life savings in the stock market, well, should you be worried? And in the same point, Jesus said, do not worry. And so if, if the root of worry is the fear over losing something, what if you, well, there's an easy answer for that, isn't there? Well, let's just, what about if you don't own anything? You just don't own anything. Doesn't that take care of the whole worry issue? <laughs> you know, on one of my trips to Moldova, in Eastern Europe, I was invited over to the home of one of my former students, Sergei. He had gotten married, and uh, him and his wife had this apartment, and uh, I had to take a 35-minute cab ride to get there into this other part of the city, and uh, I walked into his apartment, and it was just one room with a kitchen and a bath, small room. They pulled out the couch every night to, to sleep, and, and we, he said, it's time for dinner, and I thought, and where's that going to happen? <laughs> and uh, he said, well, they cleared off the coffee table that they had. And he said, this is also our dining room table, which meant we had to sit on the floor to get low enough. The meal was simple but good, and we enjoyed our evening together, looking at uh, their wedding photos and sharing about our lives, what God had done in their marriage and bringing them together and I was kind of moved by the simplicity of their life. The next day I saw Sergey. He was working at the seminary at the time. And, uh, and I, I told him that my church back in Georgetown, Texas, had given me some money to just give away to people and to bless them as the Lord brought them into my path and just led me to give them uh, some money and... Uh, I had talked with him previous about his income, and I knew that he and his wife lived on what was equal to about $300 a month in American money. And I, I made this bold statement to him. I says, I, I want to, I just want to bless you and Luda, your wife, and uh, I gave him a $100 bill, which is about one-third of his monthly income. Now, how would you feel if someone just came up to you and said, here's one-third of your monthly income? I mean, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I mean, as the giver, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and not sure what I was expecting, but he said, hey, thanks. You know, I think this is going uh, to help some of the students here in the, the seminary, because I know there's a couple of them that don't have enough to eat. And as an affluent American, it's, it kind of struck me right between the eyes. You see, he's just not worried. He's not worried a bit about where his next meal's coming from, and he sees the need in other people's lives. He's not oriented towards self, he's oriented towards others. He saw money differently than I did. He saw money as a tool to be used, as, as a means for the Lord 
to bless. I was convicted, folks, uh, not only over the differences in how we saw money. You know what I was most convicted of? I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I, I think I wanted some kind of recognition for giving him the money, <laughs> and it wasn't even my money, <laughs> right? And I've often thought about that encounter, and I thought, isn't it, wouldn't it just be freeing to own nothing? That have ownership over nothing. It'd be someone else's issues and problems and management. And Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And so the truth of the matter is, <laughs> well, praise the Lord, we don't own anything, Right? We just think we do. <laughs> there's, this, there's this freedom from understanding Psalm 24, 1, that it all is His. Everything that I have, the home that He's allowing me to live in, the car that I drive, and the food on my table, and my wife, and my kids, my church, my ministry. It all belongs to Him. It's not mine. Whew. What a load off. I just have to do what He wants me to do. My dad, I love my dad. He's like, uh, what? He's 85 years old now. And um, one of his hobbies since he retired was to invest in the stock market. Well, he was doing it before he retired, but he just loved investing. It was kind of like a game. It was kind of like a hobby for him. He would, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't tell this on my dad. He watches business channels all day long. Right? He has charts, and he has graphs, and he has spreadsheets, right? And I remember early on in his retirement, he was always projecting, and he always talked to me, Davey, I wonder how long I'm going to live because I've got to make sure I've got enough, right? I wonder how long mom and I are both going to live, and then I've got to have that and this. And there was always this projection out there, and uh, he had some good years and some bad years, as you can imagine. But he always reported to me how he was doing, and Now that my mom has, has gone to be with the Lord, and, uh, and he's 85, he says, you know, I have, I have enough to live until I'm 120. <laughs> he says, it, it just takes on a whole different light to me now. His outlook has changed. And after the past week of all these stock market losses. Well, I get this email from him yesterday. He said, I sure am losing a lot of money. Oh, well, it's my kid's money anyway. 
Uh-huh. Dad, I know you watch these online. Get out of the market, please. You know, there's something, yeah, there's something very true about the comment, but it's just, there's something very freeing about the loss of ownership, isn't there? It's not my money anyway. The only way to be free from the worry of money is to not have any. And that's exactly what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to be free. I know people who worry uh, and fret and feel shameful about tithing. Paying that church bill of 10%. They feel guilty for not having enough money to pay the tithe. I want you to know today as a pastor, that is just so messed up in so many ways. First of all, you need to understand that tithing, paying a tithe like you would pay a bill is a law-based concept. The law was this. You pay that 10% off the top, and that is the Lord's. And now the remaining 90%, that is yours. He has control over what happens to the 10. You have control over what happens to the 90, and you make it work out. But praise the Lord that uh, in Jesus Christ, the law has been fulfilled. And we have been set free from the law. From this burden of paying a church bill. We have been set free from the control over 90. Amen. Aren't you glad you're not, over, you're not in control of the 90 anymore? Not getting a lot of amens, but that's right. You have been set free from the control over the 90%. It's all His now. What a relief. He will show me how to use it. He will show me how to spend it. He will show me how to give it. Because it all belongs to Him. Sometimes he's going to, he's going to, he's going to do, be doing spiritual things in my life. He's going to say, I want you to give 20%. I want you to meet that need over there with money that you have in your management. And we, we often come back and say, you know, I don't see how this is going to work, but hey. <laughs> I do it because he's faithful and true, and it's his money anyway. So many times we, 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 we just follow him and later we see what he was doing all along. There was something in our faith that he wanted to change and build and there was something in the lives of somebody else that he wanted to bless and minister to and he had chosen us in order to meet that need. What a blessing. You know, I've gotten, into place, I've gotten to the place in my life where 
I, have, I constantly say, Lord, it's your money. Lord, it's your money. It's your money. It's not mine. You do with it whatever you want to. And so whenever I take a financial hit, I just say things like this. I guess, I guess God wanted some of his money to go to the mechanic. I guess God wanted some of his money to go to the plumber and the electrician. Isn't that wonderful what God's doing in their lives? Right? Because we see it as all his anyway. So are you doing what God tells you to do with his money? If you are, you, you, you know what financial freedom's all about. You know what financial freedom's all about. It has, it has nothing to do with how much you have. Financial freedom, by the way. The other point from the passage is that uh, heavenly treasure is never at risk. It's just not. Thieves can't get in there. Robbers, the moth of the rust, there isn't any. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, just put your treasures in heaven and uh, it can't be stolen. And you think about the statement. Yes, first of all, heavenly treasure is secure. There is no risk. But part of the statement is that who should you be storing up heavenly treasures for? This seems like an odd statement, right? Who are you storing up heavenly treasures for? Yourself. Yourself. God wants us to think that way. It's not a selfish thing. It's not an arrogant, prideful thing. It is a choice that we're making that we want eternal things to govern our lives. And uh, there is this this heart for, for heaven and its value system by which we live. And uh, he wants us to think that there is this well done, good and faithful servant phrase in our future. As we daily surrender, there is an honoring of that one day. You see, he's talking. As you can imagine from the passage, he's talking about just our general outlook towards life. Our attitude, our focus, our orientation. Is it our daily goal to invest and make something of our worldly life? Is that where all of our energies and resources and relationships and all of our struggle and work is going? Oh, we want to raise, God. We want to raise good kids. We want to earn a lot of money. We want to quit all the sinful things in our life. We want to do nice things for people and I want to invest in all that I can in the circumstances around me to make the world a better place. It's kind of a tricky thing, folks, where this dividing line is. Because is our orientation that or is our orientation towards the The things of heaven. Are we daily placing our life before him and, 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 and saying, I'm your servant. I'm willing to cooperate with, with your every call. Oh, well, I understand that there's going to be times where I'm going to do things that the world's going to say is silly, but I'm stepping out in faith to know that you're going to bless what it is that you call me to do. 
He has changed us, and we don't see possessions, finances as our own. Oh, we live in the world, but we live in the world as a pilgrim. The, the, the scripture would even call us a foreigner because our home is heaven. We're not invested here. So the treasure principle that you get from the, from the verses that Jesus spoke is this. Your heart always follows your treasure. He says that in verse 21. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. It's not the other way around. So many folks today think it's the other way around. It's not that my heart controls my treasure. Your treasure and where you put it is controlling your heart. And so the question is, where are you invested? Where is your treasure? Where is your time and your energy and your resources? And for some, it's all about your kids. It's a tricky thing. Uh, we love our kids. We want the best for our kids. But if all of our treasure is in our kids, our heart is there with our kids, and sometimes we'll even make compromises with God in order to see some success germinate in our kids. If your treasure is your retirement, your heart will be there too, and you'll emotionally rise and fall with the stock market. <laughs> If your treasure is invested, your energy, your resources are invested in your ministry, oh, your heart's going to be there too. And you're going to be promoting it and you're going to be wanting to protect it. Even if it hurts others. If your heart is for anything of this world, it's because that's where you've put your investment. Well, it could be your money, it could be your time, it can be your focus, your energy, your schedule, your work. Now hear me out, folks. The beautiful thing about all this is, first of all, should you want the best for your kids? Yes. Should you want the best for your retirement? Sure. Should you want the best for your ministry? Sure. But the thing is, the only way, to get you, the, way the, the only way that you get the best for your kids, the only way that you get the best for your marriage, the only way that you get the best for your ministry is to put your treasure with Him. <laughs> it's odd how that works. The more I give my efforts to those things, the less I am successful at it. The more my treasure is with Him, my energy, my focus, my orientation is towards Him and the receiving of His life day in, day out, moment by moment, then all of these other things begin to be blessed. Do you want your heart to change? to be unattached, to be free? <laughs> then you ask God, okay, how, how can I lay up heavenly treasure? Because if, if my treasure's in heaven, my heart's there too. He can use your talent, your resources, your availability, 
And yes, he can use your money. For heavenly purposes. I love this paragraph from A.W. Tozer. He says, as base a thing as money often is, it can be transmitted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus produce heavenly value. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. I like that. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Oh, I know what I'm facing over the next three weeks. For many people, a message series on stewardship is their least favorite. (laughs) Ugh, stewardship. They kind of see it like taking medicine. That tastes bad, but it's good for them. I want you to know I don't see it that way. I actually love talking about stewardship. I think it has gripped so many people in bondage. This is one of the areas that if people could break free, it would have spiritual implications throughout their life. People feel guilty over money. They feel ashamed, and they feel that they're at a loss to know what to do because they can't see how it can change it. I just want to ask you this question. Do you believe that God is a God of compassion, unfailing in His love for you? Amen. Do you believe that God completely understands everything about your personal situation? Amen. Do you think God can be trusted to lead you out of this? Amen. I want you to know that we don't serve a God who's up there imposing standards on us to live up to. We serve a God who takes us by the hand and shows us the way and walks with us step after step after step. And it just starts by saying, that's what I want, God. I want this complete trust in you. I do have worry in my life. And I've known God long enough to know that uh, when we trust Him, it doesn't always go the way we thought it would. Amen? Right? I mean, there's some people who might say, okay, I don't have enough to make ends meet, so I'm going to trust God because I really want to have enough to make ends meet, and so I'm going to let God now do it. And sometimes the road there is a little bit not what we expected because it's never just about the money. He's always looking to provoke faith, more trust. He might ask you to give away money you don't think you have to give away. Trust. Faith. You can hear of a brother and sister who's in Christ and they're struggling and you're praying for them and all of a sudden that God says, you know, I want you to meet that need. And you have a conversation with God about the ill-advised 
the leading he's given you. You ever had one of those? But God, you don't understand. Just those words are silly. It's all his money anyway. He, he's going to move it around the way he wants to. Maybe you're here today and for the first time you see the possibilities that there could be joy in this area of your life. Joy. Freedom. You always thought that the only way to have joy and freedom is to have a lot more than you have. You recognize that you've seen your money as yours and you've been carrying a heavy load and God wants you to move out of the owner's chair. Get in the steward's chair. Or you just execute the transactions that uh, you receive from Him. Now is the time. Surrender. I say surrender the worry. The fear. They're just... That's a, that's a worldly thing. Let's pray over it. Father, we just, uh, we hear your word. We read your word. And for many here, we know your word. We know these things are true. It's not only this passage, but there's several other passages that Help us understand the joy of sowing and reaping and the the whole idea of giving cheerfully and excitedly and just happy to give and to just be a blessing to other people and to missionaries and ministries around the world and just to be able to see the things that you want to do through us. And, And yet we see our resistance and our resistance of the past and we see the ruts that we've fallen into and... uh, And so, Father, I pray that you're speaking into my life, into every person's life here, about what it is that you are calling us to. What it is that you are saying, I just want you to be free, my child. I just want you to have rest in me. I want you to have this great hope, this this vital optimism for the future because you belong to me and everything you have belongs to me. And you're not living in rebellion. You're you're not living in 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 a situation where God has this part and you have this part, but but you've settled this with Him and uh, you ask for those faith-building moments, those faith-building times where He just says, Here's how I want to bless you. I want to use you to bless another. I want to use you to reach out and touch another life. Father, for the ministry of your word, we are so very thankful. In Christ's name, amen.